I also made the case for owning Bitcoin, the quintessence of scarcity premium. It's literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply. By its design, the total quantity of Bitcoins cannot exceed 21 million. Bitcoin is the hardest money that has ever been invented. If you don't have my private key, you cannot spend my Bitcoin, period. And this is the power of Bitcoin. It's the first time we figured out how to create true property that you can take possession of with full custodial rights. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking of Bits, where we walk you through Bitcoin bit by bit so we can provide you with the information you need to succeed and persist. Back with another episode, and this is going to be one of my favorite episodes, I can tell already. <laughs> Co-founder of Unchained, Juve Bunsal in the house. How you doing? Good, sir. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on, Jose. Oh, thank you. I know it's very early. I know we, <laughs> we, we try to get this scheduled yeah. a few times. Yeah, and we did. Uh, seems like the gods were against us, but here we are. Okay. We're going to make it happen. So uh, just to kind of get into it a little bit, and this is something I've actually always been curious. I don't know why I haven't even asked you this, mm -hmm. um, but it asks pretty much all my guests, and it's your Bitcoin origin. Um, sometimes it's something you read. Sometimes it's a life event. Sometimes it's a mixture of the two. How did you get into Bitcoin, Drew? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll say it was definitely from more the side of technology and like computers that drew me in. I did not um, have a lot of money uh, for most of my life and I did not know anything about money. Therefore, I wasn't very curious about it. I had never asked the question like, how does this stuff get made or created or how much of it is there or who controls it? I was pretty um, ignorant about all that stuff. So um, actually, uh, this is not answering your question at all, but one of the things I've really enjoyed about building Unchained and working with all the people here is I've learned so much about money in the last few years um, to the point where I now feel like I know more about it than most people, which is, yeah, it's, it's a cool, it's a, it's an, I think everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses, sure. right? About like what they bring to Bitcoin. Um, but money was definitely not one of mine. It was computers. And that's because um, prior to starting Unchained, Joe and I, Joe's our, my, my co-founder and our CEO here, Joe and I started a tech company um, called InfoChimps right here in Austin. And, you know, we were both pretty young. I was in grad school at the time. Um, it was a cloud computing and distributed computing, like big data, this mm -hmm. kind of a, a, that was what was in the air at the time. And I think we timed it really well. We got really good at that technology. We had some pretty uh, ambitious goals around data marketplaces and stuff like this, but we ultimately found success um, just helping businesses deal with the huge amounts of data that, that they generate, um, sure. analyzing it, trying to find business value in it, kind of bringing software, um, platform, methodology, expertise. Um, so it was a data company. Yeah. Um, so I was like getting pretty good at distributed systems and distributed databases. And um, I understood a lot of the challenges of when systems scale, like they have to scale out. And then there's, it's just a whole new world from programming, you know, in, in a one large machine type environment. I was familiar with these notions of like consensus and distributed consensus and eventual consensus and all these kinds of ideas. Um, but again, wasn't thinking at all about money. Didn't have any. Uh, met a guy at a at a uh, at an open source O'Reilly conference, I believe, in Portland. Um, and he was just such a fascinating character. I've told the story before, but it's it's you know I still haven't found this person. He was wearing a kilt, um, which is just a, a thing that he does, I, I guess. This this person at this conference, yeah. super intelligent, math mathematic mathematician or something like this, like pretty technical person. Um, and then just really interested in Bitcoin and just chatting me up about it, like explaining it to me, how it worked, um, you know, uh, answered all my questions. And I had enough of a background in distributed systems and just how they work, time to sort of appreciate it. And I was like, oh, this is actually interesting. 
Sure. It's like an interesting kind of thing. I, I, I acknowledged how proof of work could be used to, you know, create consensus in Bitcoin. I understood that part. Um, pretty much right away that, that evening over drinks, you know? Yeah. What I, what I did not understand is why anyone would find Bitcoin valuable, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, I think we all know Bitcoin doesn't work unless people are motivated to mine Bitcoin, to earn Bitcoin. Like, that idea, while I understood that it was theoretically possible, yeah. I think there's a lot of business ideas that theoretically are possible if all of us did a thing, but all of us aren't going to do that thing. Right. So that business is not a good idea or that project's not good. People are always like, I'm going to start a social network and it's going to be awesome. And like, like, okay, man, like call me when you get to hundred million users and then we'll talk, you know, about right. like, like whether it's successful or not. It's like a lot of things could work in theory if everyone was there in the platform, in the venue, using it, but how do you get them to do that? Right. So I did, I did not uh, understand money. So I didn't know the, I didn't really understand the value proposition of, of uncensorable, you know, finite supply like that. All that was like totally lost on me. Um, so I was like, this is a really cool technical solution to a problem that like no one has. So, uh, thanks bro for telling me about this, you know, great conference convo and I'll just file this way in the back of my mind and not think about it for years. Um, so basically I totally dismissed it. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like everyone, uh, you should, you should dismiss Bitcoin the first time you hear about it, you know, like you you shouldn't be like, oh yeah, I'll buy some, you know, it's it's like, (laughs) you should be pretty suspicious and skeptical of such a thing can exist. Like, what even is it? Like, do we even understand it? Like, are you lying to me? Are you a scammer? If you like, um, I certainly had the, a lot of those reactions too. And yeah. I was like, um, um, and, in, and in programming, there's this idea of like esoteric programming languages or like useless programming languages or like programming languages you build just to prove that you can build them. They're like Rube Goldberg machines and you would never actually use them. They're just fascinating to try to build and use. Brainfuck is a, is a, the example of this, like if you Google brain fuck programming, you'll find like, it doesn't look, it looks like noise, but really? people write programs in it. And it's a, it's a fun challenge. Is, is it like a flex? Like um, you just kind of show off your skills and your prowess? I think I've never written a brain fuck program. I've, I'm, okay. I've barely tried to read one, yeah. but, but it is. Yeah. It's a, bit, a little bit about skills. It's a little bit about like working within constraints. That's something okay. we can come back to and talk about. I think constraints are really powerful, but sure. like, um, you know, when a programming language makes something really, really stupidly hard on purpose, it's kind of cool that you can like get it to do anything at all. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. So <clears throat> I had this like vibe about Bitcoin. I was like, this is so complicated and like kind of cool that it works, but like it doesn't do anything useful. And so right. I completely ignored it for two years. This was around like 2011. Okay. So then like, a few years later, Joe and I, we sold our business. I, I had some money for the first time in my life. And I was like, you know, I bought some dumb shit. And one of the things uh, I wound up buying was Bitcoin and not for really particularly good reasons. I wasn't like, like smart about it yet. But I did check in on it, and the price in 2011 was like a buck or a dollar. Yeah. And by 2013, it's like $100. And I'm like, wow, how did that happen? You know, like in two years, this thing went 100x. Um, That's crazy. Like, yeah, I know. And I was like, <laughs> how did, like, who, who is using this? And I was like, oh, God, people are using it. You know, if yeah. people are using it, that means it might actually work. I should get some. You know, it's like, you know, cat meme, I should buy some Bitcoin. You know, it's <laughs> like, um, and I didn't really have a thesis around it or anything like that. I was just like, I had money for the first time and I was like, oh, it's going up. I'll buy it. I'm a smart investor. You know, I, I sold a company, therefore I can invest money well or something. You, know, <laughs> you, you, you have these ideas. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's say most of my investments that I made in that era did not pan out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Bitcoin of course did, right? So I bought a little bit of Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. Wish I had bought more, of course, but like, at least I was prudent. I was like, well, I don't know what this is. So I'll buy like a tiny amount and just kind of, well, if, I, if it was a dumb investment, whatever, I lost my money. Yeah. Um, you know, I was pr- approaching it like maybe the way you might approach angel investing or something like that, where you just make a bunch of small plays and, you know, if most of them might not work out, that's okay. One will work out. And that, right. actually, that did, of course, turn out to be the case because having bought Bitcoin in 2013, I've, I've held it pretty much since then and never sold any. 
Amazing. Just kind of watched it. Um, again, wish I had bought more. But um, the reason I bought in 2013 was just price speculation. Yeah. And then again, I put it away because, of course, the price collapsed immediately, right? As soon as I bought it, like the price went down. I was yeah. Like, oh, great. <laughs> um, I think it went up first and then it went down. Yeah, it went up just enough to make me feel like I was smart and then it went down. Yeah, right? gotcha. So I, I started telling people how smart I am. I bought Bitcoin and then it went down. <laughs> That's how um, it works usually. Exactly, life. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and, then, and then I didn't really think about it for a few years. I was working um, for my acquirer at the time, and you know, uh, it took a Joe and I a year or two to kind of disentangle from um, the company that purchased our business, and um, you know, took some time off, like built a house, like um, got married. Uh, well, actually, got engaged. Didn't get married for years um, after that, but just you know, just some life stuff. I think needed some time to decompress. Needed some time to not think about programming and sure. businesses. I just needed like, um, some time I knew I was, I knew Joe and I knew we wanted to build another business together. Like, like we're really good friends and we complement each other's skills and we enjoyed overall <laughs> the painful journey of building a business the first time. Yeah. So we were like, we got to go do that again. Um, but I'm really glad actually, I'm proud of us for not just like running from one thing into another. You know, like sure. I'm glad we took that like couple years off to like figure out what we really wanted to do, yeah. um, and pick the right opportunity. Because sure enough, right around 2015, 16, we're starting to get serious again about like, okay, what's our next business? Yep. And at this point, you know, we were sort of known in as much as we were known by anyone, we were sort of known as data guys. You know, we built this data, cloud computing, you know, technical business. Yeah. Um, we we're getting offers, conversations with investors and businesses to, you know, come in and run this database thing or, or maybe start up a, a data thing of your own again. Um, it was attractive as an idea because I felt like I was good at it and I could see the future of how that could work out. I could, you know, correct a lot of my own mistakes that I didn't do well in the first business and um, probably get investment for it. But I think what Joe and I both experienced was, um, you know, we're pretty hungry guys when it comes to like learning and self-improvement. And I think we were kind of burned out on just like rolling another data project. Um, yeah, not that so. it isn't important or we wouldn't might where we couldn't have been successful perhaps, but it was just, it felt like we wanted to learn new stuff. And yeah. I was, just, just, just finally getting into like the rabbit hole of Bitcoin at that point. Like having now owned it for a few years, when it went down, I sort of assumed it would die and it like didn't die, yeah. obviously. Um, and actually, Did it? <laughs> no, and it started to come back a little bit. And I'm like, what the what is this thing? You know, yeah, so you yeah. start and now, I think 2015 or so is when I actually started to like read about it. Okay. And like try to think to myself, well, how does it actually work? Because I didn't actually know. Like as much as I said, like proof of work and all this, like I didn't understand how UTXOs were structured or like sure. what Bitcoin transactions really look like under the hood or. Um, various attack models against proof of work or consensus. I was very much like, you know, Bitcoin might be Friendster or it might be Facebook, you know, who knows? Like that's a very 2015 analogy um, yeah, to offer. <laughs> um, so I was not like a Bitcoiner by any means and I wasn't like convinced about it, but I was get, getting super curious. And like I already had some, it was sitting at Coinbase. Yeah. Um, and I think in that year, year and a half, like I really just kind of fell in love with it. You know, like I think as a lot of us have experience of like, all the things I thought to criticize, I was like, have been thought about and or my criticism was wrong sure. and or people are working on it. Um, and everything I thought was like a problem, like it's not expressive enough. You can't program well inside of it. Like you might be able to in something like Ethereum. Um, proof of work bad for the environment. Um, uh, you know, just every, every criticism or immediate bad idea or thing I would say was bad about it after I some reading, I was like, you know, actually maybe I'm wrong or maybe this is not a problem actually, or actually yeah. it's a strength and I need to view it this way. And like, I need to recontextualize like what's even the problem being solved here. And it was a huge period of learning for me. I think like 
a lot of people who've gone through that experience. It's interesting. Um, so that FUD was still around at that time? Like oh, waste yeah. of energy, all that same FUD? It's, it's, that all, it's the same FUD, dude. All, it's all the same FUD. It's just FUD. a cycle of the FUD? It's just a cycle of the FUD. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel yeah like interesting. There are guys like me who like did that cycle in 2011 through 13, and there are guys that did it in 2017 to 19. There are guys doing it now. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's like we're all going through that same experience. Um, yeah. Just, just different cohorts. Uh, now, what about resources? Like, I mean, I think I think we take it for granted nowadays. You know, we have folks such as yourself as writers such as yourself and the Parker Lewis's of the world, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. sailors, you name it, go across that board. Um, what were the resources like in 2015? I mean, was it just as vast where you're able to just go online and just start reading about Bitcoin and, and kind of bouncing your misconceptions against it or was it just harder to dig like a reddit type thing we had a- it definitely was harder than it is now okay like for sure um also i feel like i'm not again i was still coming at it from like a very much a, a computers and data and blockchain and technology and crypto perspective i hadn't really like in 2015-16 really figured out that the money part was really the most important part yeah. um I wasn't reading about like the economic case for a finite supply of coins or anything like that. I had like very few opinions around that. Um, yeah. I was mostly reading about like how the hell does Bitcoin work like as code, right? Because I'm a programmer. So I was like, I need to run it. I need to like, I wanted to like analyze because I'm a data guy, right? So I wanted to like analyze the underlying data set of Bitcoin. Um, and something that like I've become sort of well associated with is this HODL waves chart oh, or yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, not something I created, by the way, um, something that was created by John Ratcliffe okay. on Twitter. So I found his version of it um, on Reddit, actually. I found his original Reddit post where he had done it. He had done the huddle ways from like Genesis block to like, I'm going to hit that. There you go. I found John's uh, blog post on Reddit or, or his Reddit post where he had done the huddle wave analysis from like 20, uh, 2009-ish Genesis block to sometime in 2011 or something like that. And it was super interesting. And I was like, wow, this is, I wish this continued. Yeah. And of course because it was 2015, 16, like you couldn't just Google, give me the huddle waves. And yeah. you know, that was not a thing. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to make that myself. And that required, you know, figuring out how to like parse the data in the blockchain and look at the mempool and historically and UTX or UTXOs at least. And, yeah. um, and like, what are the tools that are even available for that? Like, I'm just, I'm just writing C code at this point, digging into the data structures, like found some cool stuff from, um, uh, from uh, Rusty Russell, who, wrote a cool Bitcoin D data tool and just putting it together. And, and we didn't publish the HODL wave stuff until a few years later, but right around 2015, 16, Joe and I made the first version of that chart. Like we looked at it and Joe actually named them HODL waves, which nice. I think is like 90% of the success of that, that <laughs> chart. Is. Exactly. Um, it's a good name. It um, is. And so like, I think we saw that chart, like, and we were like, dude, like people are holding their coins, you know, like we could see on the blockchain that 60% of coins were more than a year old. Yeah. Um, already that idea of like X number of coins more than Y old was, was an interesting idea. Yeah. And that really drove our theses around um, if we were going to build on chain, like what would Unchain do? Yeah. And we were looking and it was like, well, at the, actually the majority, maybe not the average Bitcoin user, but the average Bitcoin is just sitting there doing nothing. Right. So like, how can this be the world's money if it's so unproductive and what value might a person who's intending on sitting on Bitcoin for years get out of it in the meantime? Like we already at that point had each owned Bitcoin for a number of years and we weren't doing anything with it. It was just sitting you know, on our Coinbase account and we were in the middle of figuring out how to move it to like hardware wallets. But like and we were, um, we understood that our Bitcoin was part of that um, cohort, right? right? And we weren't really getting anything out of it, quote unquote, couldn't use it for anything. So this idea of building a business that targeted not like traders constantly moving in and out of Bitcoin or people who are getting into Bitcoin for the first time or anything, but, but folks who already have Bitcoin and who 
are starting to feel about it the way that we were starting to feel about it at the time, which is like, hey, this might be actually one of the most interesting parts of my portfolio. Um, and then of course, uh, uh, you know, by 2017, 18, the price had you know, skyrocketed to 20K and, and subsequently collapsed. So I think we did not expect that. We expected when we were, when we were thinking about Unchained in 2015, 16, we were like, <laughs> if you go back to our slide decks, it's so funny. Bitcoin's like $6 billion market cap or $8 billion market cap total, you know, yeah. like, the numbers are all so much smaller, but you can see us trying to justify like why we felt there was a business here, right? right. Um, in catering to long-term Bitcoin holders. Um, but yeah, it was honestly, it was looking at that early version of the HODL waves chart that really cemented Joe and I's belief that like there was some valuable business that we could build here. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad we took the time to sit there, you know, researching and playing around with ideas because I really... I feel like I would really regret if in 2015 and 16, Joe and I started some other kind of business, you know, yeah. like any other kind of business, even if it had been successful. Right. Just because um, this journey that we've, we've all been on, you included, has been like the most exciting period of my life professionally, for sure. Like yeah. the amount of learning, the opportunities that I feel are coming um, through here at Unchained. Um, it's really, really cool and compelling. And I feel like really proud that I get to be part of this, that I get to be surrounded by folks like yeah. yourself, Parker, Will, like a lot of the employees and staff and friends and investors that we've built around us at Unchained. Um, it's really cool. It's magical, yeah. Um, if I just go back for a second here. So it seemed like Unchained, the idea was already being discussed, but you guys were still in the process of moving your Bitcoin off of Coinbase. So when did multi-signature become like a piece of that mm. aha moment? So I think what had happened is we had independently around 2015 or so, 16-ish, we both figured out that like, eh, this Coinbase thing is like probably not a safe long-term place to store. Like Mt. Gox had happened. Bitfinex, I think, was brewing. Um, and moreover, like Trezor and, and Ledger, like Fullcard wasn't really on the scene at that time. Um, and there were other writers too. But like these companies like seemed legit, like in a way that like maybe in 2013, I just, they, they didn't or I didn't, well, just wasn't aware of them as much sure. when I first got my coins. Um, and so we started just as, as Bitcoin owners, we just like moved our stuff to Trezor's. Like we both just like figured it out together, kind of like understood how it all worked. Um, that was a real trippy thing too for me because what I couldn't understand when I first got the Trezor, this is so dumb to say out loud for a person in my position at this point. <laughs> but I was like, I got the Trezor, I got the words, like writing all that stuff down. And I was like, yeah, but when do I have to create an account at Trezor.com? Like surely that's, <laughs> surely that's part of this. Otherwise, <laughs> I was, how will you know what Bitcoin I have? Like surely I have to tell you who I am. And I, it took me a long time to figure out like, no, wait a minute. This is, this is a deterministic wallet. Like it just calculates the addresses fresh every time and looks up balances live. And I was like, that is fucking magical. Yeah, it is. Uh, like, that is so cool. Like <laughs> you don't need, I don't even need an account with you guys. That's amazing. Um, right. So moments like that really got me excited too about like the, the change in technology that Bitcoin could, could actually create, kind of be like the killer app for. But, sure. uh, but coming out to multi-sig, right? So we had already sort of gotten onto cold storage as yeah. individual, just Bitcoin owners. And then when we were starting to build on chain, so we had kind of zoned in right on this idea of long-term Bitcoin owners as being a valuable market. We had started to zone in on lending. You know, we had asked a lot of Bitcoin owners that we knew. Like, we were lucky enough to meet um, some really uh, uh, famous and early Bitcoin um, owners. I'm actually wearing the t-shirt of, of someone that we spoke with early, Dustin Trammell, who is a friend and investor now and really helped us understand where his position was like the kinds of products he would be interested in. Like he, obviously you couldn't ask for a more long-term holder than Dustin at that point. Yeah. Um, and like the idea emerged that like lending was interesting, you know, that like 
maybe we could like a home equity line of credit. You know, that was always the analogy we had in our head. It's like, Hey, you, you know, you have this house, you have real estate, you can get value out of the real estate without having to sell it. Like if buy, buy and sell doesn't have to be the only possible financial interaction here, there sure. are many other options. So we sort of zoned in on that as like, and especially with Bitcoin, right? You don't want to sell, right? We could see in the HODL waves, like 60% of people are sitting here through this crazy price downturn. Yeah. So like, if you don't want to sell, what else can you do with it, right? So lending started to become interesting. And then that, of course, led to the idea of collateralizing Bitcoin. And then that led to, well, no one's going to trust us. You yeah. know, like <laughs> I'm, I laugh because I did not anticipate ICOs or NFTs or like the rise of how big places like Coinbase and other delegated custodians kind of became. Um, I just assumed that everyone would be super paranoid and no one would ever trust us. Like how, how could they possibly not your keys, not your coin. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I, I, I had that bias, you know, yeah, I feel sure. like, cause the, the entrepreneurial approach would be like, ah, just try it, man. Like just, just ask someone if they'll give you their Bitcoins, yeah. you know, without further deep consideration in exchange for a loan. Just yeah. don't worry about the custody part until that becomes a problem. Right? Right, right. But we were like, no, no, it will be a problem. Like no one will do this. Like we were wrong, but in a way, right. I think. So we thought up front of like, how are we going to make this safe? Um, how are we going to make it so that you as the borrower, because it uh, just, Got to mention, but Unchained it now, I think, is known for our vaults and our loans and our financial services, but the first one was loans. And so this is like when we're thinking about the loan product way back in 2015, 16. And the idea was, um, how can we make it so obvious to the borrower that we're not absconding with, these, with this collateral? Yeah. Right? Like if your whole point of, of borrowing against your Bitcoin was so that you wouldn't have to sell it, right. the worst thing that could happen was we somehow lose it or we get hacked yeah. or we rehypothecate it and it's gone, you know, yeah. like the South Park know meme it's like right. how can we convince you that that's not going to happen here right that was a big thing in our minds and then number two i think bitfinex had already occurred right. and so uh the bitfinex hack i mean um and of course mount gox and many things like that so we were like really we also got to consider ourselves like how can we we were just three or four people at the time um and, but it was like how are we going to make sure that none of us like can screw the others over and it wasn't because we thought we were going to screw each other over, right? Sure. But it's one of those, if you create a system where no one can screw the other person over, then you don't have to ask the question. Good point. Right? Like if you, if you make it so that like, well, we'll just make Joe the CEO, like have the keys to the castle and we'll just trust Joe that nothing bad ever happens with them. Even if Joe didn't do it, if something bad were to happen, it's going to be like, Joe, what'd you do? Right. Right. Like, right. So we wanted to build a system that even early on would require at least, if, if would minimally require at least collusion between internal actors in order to be able to move coins or spend them or, or, or anything like that. And so multi-sig, which was not even close to as common as it is today and right. not nearly as easy and all that was something we immediately reached for. Um, there weren't a lot of tools that would allow you to build multi-sig um, wallets. Um, Electrum was something we originally um, leaned on quite hard when we were sort of templating out and figuring out how our business would run. But yeah, it was obvious to us. It was the idea that like, well, multi-sig is the solution, um, in particular cold storage multi-sig because it protects us against ourselves have multiple keys and we can federate control and access to those amongst our, our small team and, and our growing team. Um, and clients, if we use an on-chain model, like with multi-sig literally on the blockchain, they yeah. can just look at the address. They just know from a blockchain explorer or their own node or whatever that like the funds that they contributed are still sitting there. Like we wouldn't move them. Um, and so they would know that uh, they're not being hypothecated. Huge. And you know, and, yeah. So this is like, this is, we started here, you know, and, and again, I laugh at myself because so many people wouldn't have done either of those things. They would right. have just 
assumed that like maybe I can get people to trust me and if I can, it's cheaper, so let's start there. Yeah. But I'm glad we started there because I think even though it probably in retrospect slowed down our business quite a lot, we had to go build all this stuff. That right. took forever. Um, it served, as you know, as the basis for everything that came after it. Like our vaulting product became an extension of that original multi-sig construction. Um, we actually, I think, first launched um, multi-institution lending, so collaborative custody for loans instead of just us having all the multi-sig keys. And then we launched collaborative custody vault model and then we continue to build on that, right? Like we're trading an IRA and other products that Unchained has launched and we're going to continue to build on it. So I'm actually very um, happy that I forced myself to like really think about these constraints and try to build the right product. Um, yeah. It was, I think, the wrong product for the time in a way. It took a few years to really take off. But like at this point, I'm... I'm convinced that Unchained's um, product decisions in those early days are a big part of why people find this valuable today. Yeah, absolutely. I think you actually won up the uh, the mortgage equity example because in that example, you you got to trust the bank. True, true. <laughs> so yeah. you, like you were saying, if you would have just went with that model, which is like, oh, let's just ask them, you would have eventually blown up at some point or something would have went wrong. That would have been weird. So. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, like maybe this comes back to that notion of constraints. Um, yeah. Like, I, I won't defend bad decisions and unethical behavior, but I understand how people are led to those places. Sure. Right? Like, on some level, it's your business, you have employees, you have obligations. Um, when you have a tool and the tool can save you, um, a lot of people will reach for the tool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's like, well, if all I got to do in order to keep the business alive another six months is just move some of this money from clients over here into this other bucket and probably like 1% chance something will go wrong. Like a lot of people take that. They'll, they'll, they'll do that. They'll do that, yeah. But they don't realize that it's not really 1%. It's like one, it's a 1% chance correlated up with every other participant in the market to the point where it becomes like a near certainty yeah. that over some amount of time, these kinds of, this kind of um, wild west uh, lack of accountability model will fuck you over. Right. Um, so I have a lot of empathy for businesses that have been through struggles this year because I know that I try to use all the tools that I can I'm just constrained. I can, like, our business can never raid our clients' vault deposits to go pay for some financial bad decisions we made. It just, it's, we just can't. It's impossible for us to do that. Yeah. And so it's never come up, you know? And I'm glad that it's never come up because I'd like to believe I'm a moral, upstanding, ethical person. But, you know, sometimes in those dark moments when you're like, well, either my giant business that I built fails or I take this tiny risk with client deposits, I can see, or person, I can see myself yeah. in those moments failing to be moral. Yeah. And making a bad choice, um, thinking that I'll get away with it. And then you don't. And then your business tanks and your reputation tanks and yeah. um, all because of those moments of weakness. Uh, so in a sense, I'm really happy. I don't have to be strong in that way. Um, yeah. I, uh, or maybe I was smart about my own uh, worries around this and just built a system that I knew that I couldn't even ruin. Right. right it's like. Right. It's like, you know, you got to wake up in the morning, you take the, the, the alarm clock, you put it across the room kind of thing because you know in the morning you're just going to hit snooze. It's yeah. like you kind of, you got to combat your own worst tendencies. Um, Your point. Yeah. So uh, I feel like I've just said I'm an immoral person somehow. No, 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 I think minutes. you just, I think what you said <laughs> is the truth, which is what everybody battles with, right? Everybody, you know, yeah. convenience and the mm -hmm. easy decision versus the difficult one. Or in this situation, the one where you've designed a system that won't even let you break the glass. Yeah. Right? Like it's just there. You Which can't I like, I really like, because honestly, it makes, it, it makes it easier, especially as the business grows. Cause yeah. I don't make all the decisions, obviously. Right. And, and no one does like the business grows. It gets bigger. People are making decisions in a local way. Yeah. Everyone understands though, this constraint here at Unchained. They know that like, well, we can never do this. We can never, you know, 
um, expose our clients to risk in this way because we took away that ability from ourselves. Right. And I think organizationally, it just means that a lot of conversations that would start at other firms just don't even get started here. Right. Because it's like, it won't work. So <laughs> why talk about it? Let's figure out a different solution. Yeah. Right. Um, and I like that about it. Yeah. And that's an interesting mechanism for more creative problem solving as well. Because if you were to jump in and take like the historical approach that the firms would have done or the easy way out, mm -hmm. as we're discussing, and you probably just get wrecked is what would end up <laughs> happening. And <laughs> so that's a, that's a good segue for like everything that's going on. By the way, um, I think hours before we started recording BlockFi uh, file for bankruptcy. Ouch. Yeah. So like we're watching all these dominoes fall. Is everything that you just outlined there the reason why Unchained is successful versus what they're doing? Did they reach for the easy option at the very beginning instead of building out? I think it's a big part of it. Okay. Um, I think the people here are a huge part of it, like the shared vision. Um, that we have, like that we all have a mission that we're on. We're trying to build something that is valuable to us ourselves. Like a lot of Unchained employees are users of our product. Yeah. Um, or our family members and friends are users of the product. So I think we all have a lot of skin in the game. Yeah. Um, I will say it is, is strange in an awesome way to work at a company where people actually believe in the mission statement. Yeah. You know, I think <laughs> most companies, that's just not, you have some, whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's on a t-shirt. Like maybe you like the t-shirts because it's comfy, but like, really believe the words yeah um some companies do like i've definitely here in austin there's a few great education companies where like have, that are really focused on the mission of like empowering people to learn better and i think like i've seen in, in that vertical i've seen true belief and how it can drive like a great corporate culture um occasionally i've seen it in some other places but um even in tech in like databases and you know it, the problem becomes that so much of your actual work becomes like servicing you know the needs of a company to like grow its bottom line and, and so on and it can be really easy to um for that mission to lose its uh, uh to, to lose its value especially you know for the hundredth or the thousandth employee that joins the business right sure. maybe the first time people really are passionate about revitalizing H, you know healthcare solutions or something for the enterprise i don't know yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm i'm not trying to sound like i'm dismissing whole businesses here but it's, it does kind of sound that way um, unchained <laughs> has been cool because Everybody here really likes Bitcoin, really um, loves our choices, the constraints that we put ourselves under to build yeah. products the right way. Um, and it's really powerful. So I think that's a huge part of our success. But I do agree, ultimately, that adopting the constraint that we're going to be collaborative custody, multi-sig, on-chain, cold storage, align our interests with our clients, therefore make it so easy for them to leave that we have to do such a good job with our product and service that they just want to stay, yeah. right? Um, that has been a huge part of it too. Yeah. Um, and I'm proud of us because it's hard to do it that way. There's, it's, it's made, uh, you know, block five off bankruptcy, but they grew a lot faster than we did too. Yeah, they did. Um, they started after us, grew a lot faster than us, have a lot of the same products and are now bankrupt. Um, and I don't draw joy from that, but I definitely draw a lesson and I'm like, thank God I didn't make those choices. Right. Um, cause I could have felt the same pressures to grow, to raise, to spend VC money on client acquisition, you know, to Ponzi your way up the ladder until it becomes sustainable. Um, those weren't options for us because, uh, our product is much more technically sophisticated. It's, it's a niche product in many ways for Bitcoiners who are a niche within a niche. Yeah. Um, so it's kept us honest. Um, yeah. but I also think because we're right, <laughs> because I think we're right, yeah. this is how financial services are going to be delivered broad scale. Know, decades from now, we're in an incredibly enviable position. Um, I've used this analogy before, but maybe I'll trot it out here. I often think like, I kind of hate Bitcoin internet comparisons, but this is kind of one of them. Um, 
if I remember, I'm old enough to remember Yahoo as like the, like the brand associated with the internet. Um, and Yahoo got its start before Google, one of, famously one of the huge early big IPOs of dot-com era. Um, and like the killer problem, the killer app of the internet is search. Like we, we know that now. Yeah. Um, at the time it was sort of understood and that was kind of the problem that Yahoo solved, right? Like there were this directory. Um, you go to Yahoo, you like browse through what you're looking for, like funny shit, like directions, like information <laughs> and, and it would be curated, right? So it was like this approach to search that involved human curation. Um, like the librarian's approach to, to organizing information almost, right? Sense. Like, um, unsurprisingly a traditionalist um, solution to the problem of search on the internet. Right. And it was a huge company, right? Because people, it was an important problem to solve. Um, Google, <laughs> of course, is how we do search now. And importantly, Google, like, didn't use that traditional model, right? They forced themselves to, like, take the internet on its own terms. And they came up with a solution that actually scaled with the size of the internet. Because, of course, human creation is a great way to index, or a directory is a great way to index a small amount of information. Because experts can go through it all, and they can really make it easy to, to, to navigate. The internet grows faster than any finite team of people can index or categorize it. Yeah. So they needed a machine learning algorithm, right? They needed a horizontal machine learning. Like that is the core of the internet today is horizontally applied machine learning algorithms at scale on data, i.e. distributed databases, the kind of thing that I did in my prior business. That's like the entire internet runs that way. Yeah. So Google basically invented the core um, computation model for like the entire modern age um, in solving the search problem. And of course, it was better, and you know, it was rougher in some ways, maybe when it got started, but it eventually became a far better solution for how to do search online. And everyone realized that, and of course, now everyone uses Google and so on. So it's kind of partly a story of how like, understanding the problem domain can help you find like, the right solution. But I think the other part of the story is that Google was really good about viewing this thing that they learned as an important constraint on their business. So famously at Google, like all things that engineers would build had to be the same kind of thing. They had to be horizontally scalable, machine learning driven, data driven, like horizontal applications. Um, this is really cool because it meant like Google invented so much of the stack and because they sort of forced themselves to like, this is how we at Google make you know, computations. We write MapReduce and that's a technical statement, but like all the technology that my business was selling, you know, 10 years ago, was technology that Google invented 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and the reason they had to invent it is because they embraced the constraint of like, this is the only way we compute. This is how we build applications for the internet age. So they got really, really good at it. Um, and it powered their growth past search, like into, if you recall, Gmail was like a revolutionary product when it came out sure. because um, of the work that Google did, like um, their approach to spam, like uh, so much uh, like maps, like so much of what they, the value that they accrued came from reapplying this model of horizontal computing to larger and larger and larger volumes of data, which to build services, which would then bring in even more data to build even more valuable services. So embracing this constraint really led them to, to find like a like the sort of golden path to value on the internet. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think you can tell the same story about Amazon, but in a slightly different way. I really want Unchained to follow that same model. Not that I want us to be a big tech company or anything like that necessarily, I want us to, because I think we found the important constraint here, yeah. is that you like coordination in Bitcoin, in a Bitcoin-denominated economy, happens through multi-sig, it happens through collaborative custody, it happens on the chain, um, and in other places, other loci where keys are put together. Like Keys are important for driving um, services in a Bitcoin world. You've embraced that constraint, 
we're building products with it. We're years ahead of our market. Um, anyone else thinking this way? Um, and I'm hoping that like Google or Amazon or other companies that understood well the importance of essential constraint in a growing new disruptive ecosystem, like we're just going to be surfing that wave out in front of everybody. We'll be taking our ethos of product development and the way we treat clients and the way we build services into whole new verticals and domains. Like yeah. we're, we're increasingly becoming a bank right now, and that's where we are. That's our center. But I see us branching out into so many other areas as Bitcoin you know, grows itself to disrupt those areas as well. Yeah. Um, at least that's the vision. Yeah, now, and this is just me being, I guess, one of those guys and poking holes and stuff, but like, so how does one defend against turning into the Google, if that makes sense, right? Mm. Because there's that whole, they're up, they're up, and then what the hell happened? Now you guys are surveillance or now whatever analogy you want to put there or description of them. So how do you, how do you defend if you're going along that same path, right? And you're scaling that path. Is it Bitcoin that protects us from that at all? Because we have to be honest at all points in time, or is it just... Ethical decisions, your opinion on that? It's a lot. I, I won't speak to, um, it, maybe I can say two things about at least the way I perceive changes in Google yeah. as a company as well as changes in the public perception of Google. Like one change is, is, is probably just the loss of leadership. Okay. Like um, this is true of a lot of businesses, like early leaders leave, like the business grows and wins and succeeds and people get paid and they walk out of there and a whole new culture eventually takes over. I mean, Google's a 20 or 30 year old company at this point. point yeah. um, and uh, that meaningfully changes culture. So I think part of uh, my goals here would be, how can I ensure that we're building a business that 30 years from now you still want to work at? Right. And it can't be because, you know, you're just doing the same thing. Like you can't be in a rut. We have to continuously be growing um, our reach in order to um, keep early folks here and keep them interested and excited, right? We always have to, at some point, being able to make more money is not going to motivate anybody here. Right. Um, we have to be able to say it's the impact that we have. Like, look at the changes we're driving in the world around us. Like, don't you want to be part of this? I feel like that's part of the solution. Um, I also feel like this is a little bit glib, but Google was famous for, like, uh, this is a little bit glib, but, like, Google was famous, right, for uh, don't be evil. Yes. And I think I've, others have said this, but really, wouldn't can't be evil be better, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I'd love to embrace that here at Unchained and to a degree we have with our, with our key-based model. Like, um, if you're a client of Unchained's products and you feel like uh, you you're, have a vault, for example, and you don't like the way you were treated, um, you don't like the way Unchained is treating other people, like um, whether it's because you want to cancel us or whether you just don't feel safe with us or whether yeah. you just feel like we're not a good company to bank with, walk out the door. Yeah. We can't stop you. Um, you have the keys. We've taught you how to use them. We've published open source software. Right. Um, for you to use. So even if our application is offline or we try to prevent you, we can't. Um, yeah. It changes everything about the way that we approach our clients. Yeah. Um, it's not our money, it's theirs. Um, yeah, we're always, baffles, people. Yeah. It, yeah, it is. I think we, and, and we've consistently received advice from investors and partners being like, don't do that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all know that's not how you build banks, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I'm like, maybe it can be. Maybe a bank needs to be constrained in this way. Transparency. To be a value-added custodian, to always have to focus on what value they're adding instead of becoming, um, I don't know, a little big-headed with yeah. the idea that they control your, your money and they're, you know, they're preventing you from doing things. I, I don't, can't be, can't be evil is hard to engineer into everything. Right. But I think if it's at the core of a lot of the important products that you're enabling it, and it's a philosophy of your product design, maybe it's a tool. To, to keep the company honest over a multi-decade time frame, over, over longer than the time frame that any founder or leader 
early employee or whatever can still have voice. You know, companies yeah. change, people grow and generations come in and out. How do you maintain that culture? Well, build it into the product, right? Yeah. Build it into the constraint that you have between your business and your clients. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense, yeah. I'm gonna, um, and this is sort of related to that, and just honesty, transparency, and all that, but I've always wondered your take on this. Um, so we all know Bitcoin brings the best out of people. Well, <laughs> Sometimes. I like, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Sorry, block facts. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, the people that, me personally in my own life, I'll speak for it, right? So like, since the introduction to Bitcoin, you know, if, if sovereign is the loose word to use here, more sovereign, more focused on ownership of health, of all these things, of money, of resource, mm -hmm. that all happened because of Bitcoin. Uh, it could have happened outside of Bitcoin, but in a much more slow, gradual way. A lot of my peers that I've met and I've talked to as well have had the same similar experience where it's like, they call it, you know, orange pilling, whatever it is. You just go down this, like, you know, th th there's this path of just like sovereignty of ownership. So I talked to Gigi about this months ago. He had a, he had like a long winded three piece answer to this, but I'm interested you yourself. What is it about the properties of Bitcoin that brings out honesty, that brings out truth and the best in people for the most part? Let's not generalize everything. Maybe it's an extension of what we're talking about, where like right. the, the idea that it, it, we're all in this um, voluntarily yeah. and that there's a community here. It's not a company or a nation state or a religion um, or a political party. It's um, a shared enterprise, yeah. right? Like we're all, like we're all going to make it as a wonderful phrase, right? For that <laughs> reason. Um, uh, I'll, I'll offer maybe a, I don't know about strange, but like my own take on some of the independence and self-reliance aspects is like, um, I don't know that Bitcoin has had that effect on me. I, I definitely hear a lot of people speak to that. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm excited that it has had that effect on them. I think I've almost experienced maybe more of an opposite effect, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think I've always been a really self-reliant person, like to a fault. Um, I've always been the kind of person who hold my cards very close to my chest. I can be pretty gregarious, but I'm actually like a huge introvert. Um, I don't have a lot of close friends. I'm like deeply um, focused on like my family and, and the small number of people that like kind of reach my inner circle. Um, I'm shy. <laughs> um, I'm not super confident a lot of the times, perhaps uh, externally, but like I'm deeply confident in myself and my abilities. I always have been. I've had to rely on myself a lot. You know. um, growing up, uh, it, all sorts of ways. Um, being an entrepreneur also, I think, drives that in you. You sort of learn that you have to do things on your own, that you're responsible for building a whole business. You become responsible uh, for people's salaries, for delivering things that you said you would. You can't blame your boss because you, you're a co-founder and you helped start the business. So I think I always had a pretty radical sense of ownership in this way. Um, something I think I've been really not great at is because I think I've so much relied on myself and I'm such an introvert and um, always looking inward and trying to focus and build, I think I tend to be dismissive or um, I don't appreciate enough sometimes community and that we're all working on something together. Yeah. Um, within a business, I think I've managed it. Like our employees are all pulling in the same direction. I can, that I can get behind, but it's always us against our competitors or us against um, or, or, tr or trying to sell to this client. So we're like, we're, we're trying to help this part of the client, but we don't like this team at the client, right? So we're trying to get around them, right? There's um, an adversarial sense to, to work sometimes in that sense or of, of your team trying to win and outcompete other teams and yeah. things like this. What Bitcoin has really um, helped me to kind of fall into more is the notion that 
it's this is like probably one of the first communities that I actually feel like proud and okay proclaiming my membership in. Yeah, you know, like, and I think it comes back to kind of what you say that like I've not like because I I there is obviously a degree to which Bitcoiners like any other community are many of us can just be cheerleaders or we're just tribalists or we're just you know rah rah shaking the banner this kind of thing. But I think so many of us and I've been so impressed by this really do want the same things and we're working towards it and it really is this sense of community like um, responsibility to like educate about Bitcoin, to like dispel myths about it, to help bring new people and shepherd them into using it correctly and avoiding scams and um, trying to build products that are in service of Bitcoin and, and to extend it to make it more useful, not um, screw people over and give them a bad experience. Like uh, there's obviously a community of people building distributed databases. There's a community of people in other areas of technology and um, finance. This feels like a community that I want to join. Right. So suddenly I'm like, like I'm really, so excited like we're having this um interview here in the bitcoin commons like it's so cool that we even have such a concept here that unchained can be part of that um i'm like deeply proud that like i get to be part of that community i think for me um bitcoin has kind of been a lesson in not being such a weird loner you know yeah, like yeah. um realize that other people want what you want and like are talented and pulling in the same direction and they don't have to be working at your company they don't have to be your clients it could just be random people on twitter um that that are pulling and educating and pushing in the same direction as you. I would actually say that it wasn't until I got interested in Bitcoin deeply that Twitter became interesting to me. Yeah, same here. You know, <laughs> maybe you see that. Because like, I was like, this is just all random people. Just I don't, I don't care about any of these people. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I, nothing interesting is happening here. Yeah. And of course, it takes falling into community and realizing that Twitter can be a channel for that community where you learn about the community, you learn about what's happening in the community and the, and the progress people are making and the concerns that people have and the questions right. and... Um, I love being able to tweet a, a question that I don't know the answer to, like some technical thing. And within 20 minutes, like probably one of the best people in the world has been like, oh, I think this is the answer. Yeah, you know, yeah, or yeah, like, here's right. a link where I solved this problem for you. <laughs> that being part of a community like that feels really good. Yeah. Um, so for me, Bitcoin has kind of been, um, as I say, a lesson in like how to join something right. um, for the first time in my life, something that I can join that I don't feel like... Um, like in the Mark Twain quote or whatever, right? Where like, I don't feel like, really? Like, am I joining this? Like, you know, I'm just trying to be like everybody else. It's like, no, right. no, dude, this is the thing to join. If there's anything to join, this is the thing to join. This is the t-shirt to wear. Yeah. Um, this is the thing to vote for. This is the, the, the thing to throw your money behind, to donate to, to build yeah. within. Like, uh, it's cool. I like that. Yeah, it's that new, um, I, I feel this way sometimes where it's like in, in fiat land, as I like to call it, it's kind of seemed like all those designations have already been accounted for, right? So you have like, <laughs> the high-end Googles of the world, you have all that. And then this, it's still so early. Yeah. That it's like we can actually put, you know, our talents, our skills, mm -hmm. our, you know, what we can contribute into display and actually get appreciated for it, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. And that's been uh, super important for me. Uh, to swing back to the earlier in the conversation where you said, you know, the, you know, the most important part of, of Bitcoin is money, the money aspect mm -hmm. of it. How does that correlate with that, with the community aspect? Is it like, because I like to think that it's not about money, it's about community, but obviously there's a super importance to the money aspect of why everybody's related to that. Why, why is that? Well, we'll bring it back to community maybe in a second, but I think for me, like when I first realized how important the money part was, was yeah. just actually starting to build Bitcoin applications. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe this is something that's obvious to you, like you're much an expert at this point compared to most people, as am I, but like, as probably are most people listening to this, I'm going to guess, that the notion that Bitcoin has a test net like this is not something that I think most people know. Right. Like they don't, and they don't, and they don't realize that the test net 
is exactly the same as Bitcoin. Yeah. It's like, it's not even like, you know, gold versus iron pyrite. It's like, it's the same thing. Yeah. The only difference is some label in the Genesis block. Oh, and by the way, one of them is worth, I don't know, 15, 16 grand. The other is worth nothing. Um, and the third difference, testnet doesn't work. And like, if you use testnet for developing applications, it does not have the properties of Bitcoin mainnet. It does not have regularly spaced blocks. It's not as reliable. It has all sorts of crazy behavior. It just doesn't work as well as yeah. a network. And when I started to see that, I was like, well, why not? It's the same thing. Yeah. Well, no, it's not because this one doesn't worth anything, right? So if it's not worth anything, people don't act the same way. They don't act the same way. Then it doesn't have the same properties as a result. So I was like deeply like, oh my God, the money really matters, right? Same thing with Ethereum. Ethereum actually has this wonderful phrase of proof of authority, okay. right? Which is one of their test nets because test nets are suck. They're because they don't have the economic incentives. They don't fucking work. And yeah. so they built a test net, which is like, different than the consensus model on this testnet is, is proof of authority. Basically, a big set of servers choose the blocks. There are other models that they have for other testnets in Ethereum as well now too, but I thought this was a cool idea because it's like, actually, that's what you want from testnet because it's just for testing. It doesn't have to be worth anything. You just want a list of people who are reliable to just make the testnet block so it always works and then you can test 90% of what you need to test in that kind of a model. But doesn't that reveal how important the money is, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It really does. Yeah. And I think thinking about that really got me like, um, like less on, like it helped walk me away from like, oh, money doesn't matter. The tokens are, you know, tokens can be for anything. Even maybe the tokens don't matter. It's just all the blockchain. I know I've spoken with people who really do believe that like Bitcoin would be better if there weren't a money aspect to it, if it was just the blockchain somehow. And I'm like, well, you don't know how it works then, clearly, because yeah. like it wouldn't work without the money. Like it would become testnet and it would fail. Yeah. Um, so I feel like <laughs> that is that early on that helped me understand like how important the money part is. And then uh, also thinking about application development. But at some point I realized like people are writing all this code on Ethereum and building all these applications. But, like you could crush the entire Ethereum network with like a, a hundred grand of, you know, fee bloat. Right, like, yeah. All the applications would grind to a halt because they can't, you know, Basically, the idea that monetary transact, well, so this would be an attack vector that I'm describing. Like, if you wanted to, you could just take out the Ethereum network by spending a relatively, or all of the application layer of the Ethereum network just by putting in high-value transactions with lots of fees, right? It's the, it doesn't, wouldn't cost you that much to sort of perform this, like, idea of an economic denial of service, right? If you're yeah. willing to throw a few millions of dollars at it, like, maybe the numbers have changed now. I mean, these networks have grown a lot sure. larger. But it struck me that, like, it's money which protects the functioning of these applications, right? And it helps them go. Um, also, we know that just in general, applications in altcoin lands where they try to compute everything in the blockchain, they do tend to grind to a halt at periods of high usage, right? When yeah. fees go up, those applications become unstable and difficult to use because they're relying on doing all their computations within this blockchain. But then the, the idea, basically illustrating the idea that like application use cases and other things will, will get priced out. Yeah. by the most economically valuable transactions. Those are the ones we'll, which will actually, in a, in, because the blockchain is ultimately market, those are the transactions which will actually settle. But at the end of the day, like, I was like, man, all of this is pointing to a really important concept, which is like the money is central here. And then of course, uh, I'm, I'm saying all this because I'm a computer guy ultimately, but like learning from Parker and yeah. a lot of the other folks that I've now interacted with in the last few years, seeing how their perspective is so centered in like the macro picture and like, the money needs to change. And I'm like, I'm like okay, so that's it's just as important from for those reasons, like sort of philosophically, mission-wise, as it is just technically implementation-wise. Like it all centers around the fact that this is a better form of money. Yeah. Um, and a valuable form of money 
one that will therefore incentivize human beings to do the needful thing in this distributed system that no one is in charge of, right? Right. Once you have that like full circle of thoughts, you kind of become like, yeah, the money has to be really good. Like yeah. the better money will win. It'll build a more powerful network. The incentives will be stronger, better foundation to build everything else upon. And you sort of like start to zone in pretty hard on the idea of, I don't want any properties which ruin the monetary properties. Like the monetary properties are primal above all other properties the system could have. Yeah. Um, well, you, you literally just uh, spun me away from where I, so a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with somebody here at Unchained. And, you know, I'm, you know, I like what I like to call the, the, the GG of Bitcoin, right? Like, I like the philosophy aspects of sure, Bitcoin. Sure. So what I was telling this person was like, to me, personally, I think on my stack on the reasons why I Bitcoin, money is the last reason. And what that person's argument was is it can't be. It has mm. to be your number one reason. You mean money or you mean like your personal wealth? Money. Okay. That piece of it. Okay. That's a good point. I didn't think about it in the, in the other hand. But yeah, like to me, like the, what I've gotten out of Bitcoin when it comes to community, right? Similar to yourself, very introverted, you know, very careful about who I'm around. That same thing. What I've gotten out of Bitcoin, the relationships I've gotten, um, the, the, you know, the, the, the sovereign mindset, all that that came with it. And the last thing that I, that I, that I thought about was, is like, this is going to make me really rich one day. Probably, yeah. Right. I hope so, too. <laughs> yeah, right. So, like, that's what I was trying to explain to this person. I was like, hey, I'm glad that, like, you know, like, your mm -hmm. cost basis at what you pick up Bitcoin mm -hmm. and what it's going to be in two years is important to you. But to me, from everything that I've gotten from Bitcoin, um, including the position here at Unchained, right? Like, all mm -hmm. the stuff that I really care about, I don't really think about money. And I don't think about the price. I would agree with that. I think I'm, I'm probably the same camp as you, which is like, I'm pretty sure that if I just keep holding my Bitcoin for another decade or two, like I will singularly, just that one thing will make me a very wealthy person. Yeah. Um, that's cool. I'm like excited about that. Yeah. It's not the thing I'm finding most valuable. Okay. Like, you know, not, not to do my own horn. I'm pretty sure I would be fine even without Bitcoin, no matter what. Like I'm smart, I'm hardworking, I'm talented. Like I have great connections. I'm very lucky. Like I would find careers. I would find a path. It would be fine. So like I sort of operate in the context of like, I am a successful person. I will, will become more successful no yeah. matter what. Like, so the idea of like having wealth through Bitcoin is exciting, but it's, it's as you say, it's not the thing I find most valuable. Right? Right. The thing okay. I find most valuable is the changes I'm seeing in myself as a result of feeling like I'm part of a community on a mission together to build something really valuable and just how cool and impactful that feels. Yeah. Um, I've said this before, but I sometimes feel like one day unchained like, because we're going to grow to be such a larger company, even than we are today, we're going to be deeply connected to like important financial flows of the world. We'll be a structurally important business in the world. I hope one day us, like, I think that means, um, I'll get to be somewhere and be in a room meeting. So there'll be a conversation where I'm like, man, I can't believe I even get to be in this room right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it'll be, and it won't be because I have some amount of money in Bitcoin. Right. It'll be because I helped build Unchained. Yeah. And that's what got me into that room. And that feels really cool. Yeah. I think I've already experienced that, Drew. Yeah. A bunch of times. I'm sure it'll come <laughs> even more, but like I talk to my wife all the time, right? So, you know, hard upbringings, people that listen to this podcast knows a little bit about my background and stuff. And then sometimes I just pinch myself and I'm like, hey, like my desk is overlooking six in Congress. I'm working for the premier Bitcoin company in the space. <laughs> like that's magical to me, right? Like if I, if I were to ask me maybe even two years ago, I was in an operating room ready to get forced vaccinated mm -hmm. because I needed to make income, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was like, oh, well, I either get this forced vaccination upcoming in November, as this email has highlighted for me, or I have to figure out another way to make money, right? And I was ready to go figure out the other way. And then, you know, Bitcoin, 
and then unchain that whole intertwined thing. And then here I am having this conversation with you. So like, I've already felt that experience of like, how did I get into this room? What am I doing in this room? Mm -hmm. And just trying to be grateful and continue that to happen. Yeah, being in the room is what's valuable. It's like, it's it's cool that you might be wealthy in some real terms of Bitcoin one day, but like being in the room is what's valuable. Yeah, I think, and back to like that whole bottom of the stack, I consider myself wealthy, whether, you know, like a a number would say. Yeah, what does the guy really need? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very, you know, low time preference, very basic needs. I mean, married, got beautiful kids. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm happy, right? So like, as we go into circle back, that's what I was trying to tell this person was like, I mean, I don't look at price and it's not because of some like cool mm-hmm. little like stand that I took where I don't have to look at price. It's legit. Like what Bitcoin has given me is far more than any wealth I could ever receive because it's gotten me here in this room talking to you and being around peers that I actually love and enjoy being around. Right. Like that's how many people listening to this can say, hey, I love going into work and love mm-hmm. my peers. That's, yeah. That's word, very rare. Yeah. Word. So, um. All right, Drew, reaching the hour here. What's next, if you can say, for you, and then conversely for Unchained, you think, let's say five years. Let's give it a five-year one. Wow, five years. That's like forever away. Um, yeah. We'll drive it down next year. So, so we're, bra- we're, I mean, it's just in the spirit of brainstorming, which I think that you're asking the question. Yep. Um, I definitely see the last five years, uh, Unchained's been around for, I think, six years now, officially. Yep. Um, it's been obviously a period of huge building and growth for me. I feel like I've discovered Twitter, Bitcoin, like I've written some, I think some pretty cool articles that like really pushed my own understanding and ability. I've built stuff here at Unchained that I'm deeply proud of, both like as a business, but also on the technology side. Like I think some of the most, um, some of the hardest technical lifts that I've ever done as an engineer have happened here in the last year or two. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to change code of a, of a running bank that, has to work all the time and can't make mistakes, you know, yeah. um, and, to, and to land it smoothly um, is hard. And I'm proud of myself and the team for, for doing those things. So I feel like I've done some of my best work ever here. Um, next five years, I've only got to be better. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, how's that going to work? Yeah. I'm already <laughs> feeling like pretty, pretty tops here. Um, and I think the answer has got to be unchained. You know, we've unlocked a really valuable market segment. As you know, like our clients love us. I think our product is the best product in the market. We have the right business model for the future of financial services in a Bitcoinized world. But we're not the company we need to be. Yet. We need more revenue, more clients. We need to be able to control our future more. Um, Bitcoin is extremely cyclic. Um, it's been hard on us, just as it's been hard on so many other companies. And we're not even making some of the bad decisions those companies made. And it's yeah. still hard on us. Like the market has tanked by 80% this year. Affects our bottom line going to survive to do all the big idea things that I would like us to do. We've got to build a real business here. We're getting close. Um, I think we're the scale that we've achieved now is a great basis upon which to build that, that business. But that's part of um, just scaling too, is we're kind of coming out of that finding product market fit and establishing the initial product mix. It's now it's monetization, optimization, automation, all the things that you know that we're working on all the time here at Unchained. So I feel like this is honestly in many ways harder for me than the last five years. I think I'm very naturally gravitate towards building new stuff. Um, and I think I am learning with many colleagues here how to bring in staff to help grow the stuff that already works, right? To optimize it. Yep. So that's going to be a big part of my own personal growth. It's just, I've, um, as, a, as a founder, I've never built a business as big as Unchained before. Um, this is the best I've ever done. And so I feel like I'm kind of reaching some of my own limits in terms of things that I'm comfortable with or know about. And I'm having to like really up level in terms of myself and 
my skill set and, and, and where I try to set my thoughts. Um, it can be really tempting. Uh, you know, I've written a lot of code here. I still know a lot of details. It can be really tempting to lose yourself in the details every day. There's always something going on. Oh, some bug here, something here, like, you know. And it's tempting because I'm good at it too, right? So I'm good at the code. I'm good at digging into the problem, figuring it out. I could spend all day, every day, adding small bits of incremental value like that, but I've, I'd lose myself. Right. You know, I, I need to rely on the team, the team that we've built to, to do that work now. Um, and I need to go find new areas to push in. And we'd even had a conversation about this before I came on the show today. I've, I've got some new content that I'm really excited about. It's been stuff that I've been building up for years. Um, all sorts of different threads, everything from thermodynamics to Bitcoin oh, yeah. history to um, math and all sorts of fun, fun stuff. But I feel like I need to get some of this content out. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy writing, but it's literally the hardest thing for me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I w- I'm so much faster and better at quicker at, at producing code than I am at producing words. Yeah. Um, despite t- taking forever to say anything, um, producing good words on paper is real, real fucking hard. Um, and, uh, but it's also very satisfying. My, my wife is a, is a professional writer. So she's ostensibly better than me at this. Yeah. But she talks about how a lot of writers don't like writing. They like having written. And, and I totally get that because yeah. I, I'm like, man, I just want to finish this article so it can be done and people can read it and I can be like happy with it. And like, I can be, I don't want to go through the writing of the article part. Like that's yeah. like the daunting, you know, the thread, the threads don't quite line up. Like it's getting longer and longer and you're like, Ooh, where's this article going? Like I, I gotta skinny <laughs> yeah. it down, you know, like right, right. I'm kind of in a, I'm, I'm in that phase for a bunch of content projects of mine. I'm a little frustrated with myself. I need to find some like airspace in the day so I can like kind of land some of those um, yeah. projects I, and I'll be excited when I when I am done with them because then I, w- I will have written yeah and then you'll be coming back on to talk about it oh yeah for sure <laughs> for sure yeah well, we got to talk about it yeah definitely do words that no one talks about uh are not words yeah yeah, yeah. well looking forward to it. I know we we'll even tackle the you know Bitcoin and Mars and, and that was <laughs> I'm glad series of articles I'm glad we'll cover it for next time yeah, yeah definitely we'll have yeah. a whole episode just on your writings because <laughs> it is fascinating um above my head <laughs> But in a good way, it makes me want to think up instead mm-hmm. of just being like most of the content nowadays where it's like sleep, snore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Drew, I appreciate everything you do. I appreciate what you've done here at Unchained. It's a big part of why I'm so comfortable where I'm at in life right now. Um, and personally telling you that's important to me, that a big piece of my life right now is Unchained and it's happiness. It's, right there with it's, you, brother. It's such a great feeling. So I appreciate Thank you. you. Thanks for coming on and we'll set up a round two. All right. All right. Folks, you know where to get all the content. Podcasting 2.0 is what we're trying to do here. Breeze, uh, Zeus, there's a few of them out there. I'm blanking on them. But the Breeze and Fountain are our favorite way to go. Stream us some stats, show us some value. This show will never have ads. This show will never have sponsors. We're trying to get into the Bitcoin standard of media, and Lightning allows us to do that. If you want to check out this 4K content, then Bitcoin TV is the place to go. Let's get away from those algorithms. If you're not on the Bitcoin standard of content yet, I don't know what you're waiting for, but you can go uh, tickle the algorithm, rate, share, subscribe on YouTube and all those other places, and that'll help us get some signal up. And then eventually you can come over to the Bitcoin standard of content. Appreciate y'all as always. I'll catch y'all next week. Later.